Performance is not just for top athletes and actors. It's something we engage in every day of our lives. But the question is, are we performing at our best? How we think, feel, and behave all influence our results from day to day. Dr. Christie and her guests will show you the common elements behind performance and how it all ties back to our success. Welcome to The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christy Wanner. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Christy Wanner, and I am super thrilled to be with you for the next hour. Today, we are talking about extraordinary leadership and extraordinary performance. What does it take to achieve both? Of course, in the mental game, we're always looking at topics through the lens of how we achieve our great potential and performance by making shifts in our mindset, our beliefs, and our actions. And today, it's a very special day for a couple reasons. First, it's my birthday. And it's always wonderful to share that with others. This is definitely my first time celebrating my birthday on the year. So it's really fun that the timing worked out that my birthday landed on a Monday and the same day as the show airs. Um, Second, we have a very special guest today. I'm very excited. Uh, Dr. Jack Zenger, leadership development guru extraordinaire, will be joining us here shortly. It is a wonderful treat to have him here and my birthday all at the same time. So looking forward to a great show. Last week, we focused on group formation and group performance. I shared some themes around the research on how leaders can influence this process. Today, we are going to take a look at leadership from both an individual perspective as well as building a culture of people trained in and providing feedback and coaching to support organizational performance. So we're going to look at both. How does it help you individually and how does having great leaders and People who can coach and give feedback also support the org. So, quote from Ronald Reagan, the greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. He is the one that gets the, pe- gets the people to do the greatest things. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, quote to start us off with. And uh, I do want to kind of talk a little bit about leadership here for a second. What does it actually take to be a good leader in today's world? And is it different than what it takes to be a great or an extraordinary leader? Well, going to the handy-dandy internet, Google is our friend, you will find a ton of thoughts on this very topic. And what we find is that there is a ton of information out there. When we look at the trends, some suggest that the environment is volatile due to economic conditions. There is a ton of uncertainty brought about by increasing global globalization. There is increased complexity driven by revolutionary technology changes affecting organizational products and processes. And of course, it's ambiguous. Brought by generational shifts accompanied by baby boomers retiring and the next generation leaders rising to take more leadership roles. They say we need leaders to think about all of these things and more and that we need leaders to be inspiring and to motivate others, to display high integrity and honesty, solve problems, and analyze issues. We need them to drive for results, just to name a few. But what is actually fact and what is fiction? When we look at this sea of information on leadership, it is so easy to get lost. Quite frankly, it reminds me a bit of the vitamin and supplement industry. What is really in this bottle, and what is the latest trend in superfoods? These seem to change like the wind depending on who you're talking to, and there is not always credibility or or assurance in what is actually in this little bottle. 
The fact is there are lots of great perspectives out there, some based on experience, some based on personal opinion, some based on pseudoscience, and some based on rigorous scientific research. And it's really up to us to be good, wise consumers of information in the leadership space. And what I love about today and our guest speaker is that Jack is really going to talk about the importance of evidence-based research. And a lot of what he's going to talk about is really based on great research and not just opinion. So I'm super excited. So I'd love to introduce Jack. Jack, Dr. Jack Zenger is the co-founder and CEO of Zenger Folkman, a strength-based leadership development firm, specializing in consulting and leadership development programs for organizational effectiveness initiatives. Jack is considered a world expert in the field of leadership development and organizational behavior. He's a highly esteemed and influential speaker, consultant, and executive coach. Can you believe this? He has authored more than 50 articles and written over 13 books, including The Extraordinary Leader, Turning Good Managers into Great Leaders, and The Inspiring Leader, Unlock the Secrets of How Extraordinary Leaders Motivate, and that is just to name a few. He's a national columnist for Forbes and National Business Review, and in his spare time, he runs his organization with great integrity and leadership. In fact, he was named Top Leader of the Year by HR.com back in 2014. So with that said, it is an absolute honor to welcome Dr. Jack Zenger on the show today. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. Thanks, Jack, for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just going to dive right in. We've got so much to talk about, and uh, I'm so excited for you to be here. I would love for you to share a little bit about your journey and what made you so interested in leadership. Yeah, I'm happy to kind of talk about that. Um, So I was a young boy, kind of about in my late teens. My father was a hospital administrator, and so he hired me to come and do odd jobs, mow the lawn and do things around the hospital. And I had a chance to kind of see the, the influence that he had and how people kind of paid attention to what he said and how he was able to kind of influence things there. And I had a, a kind of an interesting experience. Uh, I became quite friendly with one of the, one of the nurses. And, and uh, so my dad came home one day and said that he had been talking with her and he had offered to her the position of being head nurse for the hospital and that uh, she had turned it down. She just didn't didn't want to do it. And I said, I was totally surprised. I was kind of almost aghast. And I said, well, why would she turn down that, that opportunity? And he said, well, she just didn't want to have the responsibility. She just kind of liked being a, you know, like being a nurse. And, and I was just so befuddled that someone would turn down this opportunity for leadership. Uh, I, you know, and so I, that, that's the first memory I have of being just so fascinated by this topic. And so as I went on to school and, and went on to, in my career, I just always found myself coming back to trying to answer the question, what makes, uh, what makes good leaders good leaders and um, how can we do a better job of, of developing them? Great. And it is amazing how these memories of our childhood or these incidences do impact our our path. And it sounds like you have uh, one that you can remember pretty early. So my next question for you is, um, 
And this is kind of a doozy, so do your best with this one. What is one of your favorite stories or successes from your work? And you've been in the field for, you know, 50 years or so. What's one of your most favorite stories that you can remember? Well, you know, unfortunately, it's a fairly recent story. So uh, the firm I'm currently involved with is about 15 years old. In our really early days, uh, we hired someone in one of the key kind of functional positions. And uh, as time went on, it became clear that he he was very guarded, he kind of suspicious. He dealt with other people kind of warily, and he didn't share information always with them, and he thought that people were kind of out to get him. And so finally, uh, his boss didn't happen to be me. It was a person that reported to me. I mean, his, anyway, his boss kind of said to him, uh, you know, uh, your your career is going to really be hampered, really really hampered by your your attitudes and your beliefs and and the way you're acting. And so he gave him some very you know kind of complete feedback. And this individual was kind of shocked, and he thought that his boss kind of had it in for him, and he thought this was all kind of made up. And so we decided to do the thing that we do for our clients, and that was to do a 360-degree feedback process so that he participated in that along with a number of others of us, and he he got his feedback. And he found out that all these things that his boss was telling him were were not made up and they were not the boss's point of point of view. They were they were the collective point of view of all of his colleagues. And so the the, the thing that stands out about this is that I have kind of up close and personal seen him go through this very profound change of having received feedback, having realized that it was valid, deciding to take it seriously. And, you know, today he's a totally different person, and he will be the first to tell you about that. I mean, he would he would say that this has been a remarkable transformation in his life. Now, I could, you know, talk about some companies where they've, done development for their entire leadership team, and they've shown statistically significant improvement in every one of the dimensions that we measure. But I think it often kind of is more vividly illustrated by specific case examples that you've seen up up close and, and very personally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and what resonates with me when you said that was, that you were able to witness that change. You know, it's like watching a, a butterfly emerge in a way. You know, you were able to be upfront, close, and be a part of that process. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we work with, you know, hundreds of clients, and you hear, you hear kind of secondhand stories about people who make improvements, changes, and how the overall company is impacted. But yeah, there's no substitute for seeing it up close and, and seeing it really before your eyes. Yeah, great. Well, that's a nice segue into my uh, next question for you is, you have seen leadership evolve and change over the last 50 years, up close and personal. What do you believe is the greatest challenge facing leaders today? Well, you know, I think there's this, well, the biggest biggest challenge, of course, is this giant ocean that exists between knowing and doing. Uh, We're all... You know, we're all besieged with this enormous, you know, amount of information and uh, that that crosses over our computer screens. And but 
the ability of people to kind of put that into practice. And maybe what really highlights that so much right now is that the the pace of change, you know, from a person my age who has a perspective on what's happened in the last 50, 60 years and in the business world, uh, the, the pace of change has just accelerated so much. You know, change used to occur. I mean, it's not that not that things were always static, but the the rapidity of it and the the implications of it. You know, the the disruptive nature of some of the change that's coming along. That's the biggest challenge I think facing uh, leaders and leadership today. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. It's it's both the amount of information that's hitting people as well as the rate of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you so when you look at training leaders and, and knowing keeping that kind of challenge in the back of your mind and your training leaders, what do you think is missing in their development in order to really successfully overcome this major challenge? Well, I think one of the the biggest thing that's missing and the biggest challenge that many of them face, and I say many of them, many of us uh, face is uh, the, the the danger of falling into arrogance and complacency. The, these are the twin demons that beset l- leaders. Um, it is, a, on, on the one hand, feeling like, I must really be wonderful because I've been promoted, or I'm the president, or I'm the CEO, and therefore I must really be smart, and I must my judgment must be impeccable. Um, that's... That, that is, I think, the, the number one challenge. And, and how you kind of help people with that um, is to try to help them to kind of think about the importance of listening, uh, of not jumping to conclusions, of not being so prone to dive in and give people advice, uh, to recognize that they don't have all the relevant information. So when people come to me and they, you know, they ask me if there's one thing that you would suggest to me, I'm, you know, kind of beginning my business career. What would you tell me to do? And I aspire to be a manager. I, I would typically say to them, uh, when you're appointed a manager and people come into your office and ask you a question, you of course have this enormous temptation and 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 expectation to some degree that you're going to answer their question, that you're going to tell them what to do. And my suggestion to you is don't do that. When people come in and ask you a question, don't take the bait. Don't don't quickly give them an answer. But in general, say something to the effect of, so what do you think? You're closer to this problem than I am. What would be your recommendation? And if you'll follow that principle through your life, you'll be amazed at how how many fewer mistakes that you'll make and and what message that conveys to people around your respect for them, your appreciation for them, uh, that you really do care about uh, what how they view the issue. So anyway, that that's I guess that's my my conclusion about what's missing in how we can be of most help to leaders right now. Yeah, and if I were to wrap that up a little bit, what I was hearing from you is really listening, enabling people to come to you as a sounding board versus a solution 
and really encouraging people to create their own solutions by by referring back to them. Like you're closer to the problem, so what do you think? And getting their thinking first before you add input. Did I summarize that okay? You did, uh, absolutely. Uh, the, the best solutions always come from within the person and uh, the, other, the other person uh, because if, if, if it's come from within them, then they're going to be a lot more enthused about implementing it than they, than they are about you, you, your solution that you've kind of imposed upon them. Uh, and, yes, listening uh, is the, the key and, and uh, really trying to kind of take, take the time to kind of understand the, the, the real issue. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I can really resonate with that idea of, you know, we're moving at such a fast pace, leaders just don't have all the answers, and they need to be able to solicit that from the team and create a solution-building team. Um, So with that said, thank you so much for joining the show, and we'll be back here in a few minutes, and we're going to dive a little deeper um, into the research, what the research shows is important, and if, um, in terms of if you want to develop into being an extraordinary leader. So we'll be back here with Jack. Uh, Zenger in a few minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you are a small business owner or a creative freelancer in pretty much any field, you can't miss Let's Get Radical. Your hosts, Jody Paydar and Liz Gold, will help you redevelop your plans, policies, and practices to take a radical turn in order to achieve new success. They spotlight the latest in technology, attitudes, what others are doing, and what can help you. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And let's get radical. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel, and get Amplified. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Thanks so much for joining the show today. Before the break, we got to hear a little bit about Jack's personal journey into leadership development, as well as his thoughts on leadership in general. Now we're going to go dive a little deeper into the details of developing great leaders. So Jack, I understand that um, your approach to both understanding leadership and developing leaders is an evidence-driven and strength-based approach. So I'm curious to know why is focusing on strength so important in becoming a great leader? Well, you bet. So um, maybe just a quick word about where where the research comes from. So my colleague uh, is a PhD statistician and psychometrician, and so when we came together about 15 years ago, uh, he had data from about 20,000 leaders, and we had two 200,000 what's called 360-degree feedback instruments. For those on, who might be listening who, who don't know what that means, uh, 360 feedback is simply a tool that you, uh, on an online survey that you can give to a leader, to that person's immediate boss, to several of his or her peers in the organization, and then hopefully to all the people who may be, who may be subordinate to that individual. And you can kind of bring all that data together and present it to the, to the leader in the form of a summary report that sort of gives them just an enormous amount of, of insight and information. So that's the basis of our research. And uh, what's been wonderful about this last 15 years for me has been that, uh, that I, I had not realized the enormous power of having hard data that you can give to people about how they are perceived by their colleagues. So the answer to the question that you you asked me originally was, uh, so why do I believe uh, that strengths-based leadership is a is a superior approach? Uh, first of all, what what that's saying is that that uh, the the data is really clear that the most effective leaders are not perfect people. It's not that they don't possess any weaknesses. It's not that they don't have some rough edges in their either their knowledge or their behavior. But what really distinguishes them then, what really leapt out to us when we looked at the top leaders out of this 20,000 that we had in our database, it was clear that they possessed a handful of strengths. These were, these were behaviors that really distinguished them, set them apart from, from the, the rest. And we, we found that they, we, and we called these the, the differentiating competencies. And they were things like, you know, being technically and professionally expert or being a good problem solver or being highly innovative or being willing to practice self-development. Or maybe it was a, a cluster of behaviors around them being really focused on results and that they would drive hard for results and then set stretch goals with their colleagues and they would really take initiative to make things happen. Or they were particularly good in interpersonal skills. These would be communication skills or being inspiring and motivating to the people around them. Or that they were very good at building relationships and uh, that they really paid attention to the development of their subordinates and they practiced great teamwork and collaboration. And finally, that they might be really good in, you know, in leading change and being strategic in their thinking and uh, championing change, 
So these were the kind of competencies that we measured. And what we found was that when people possessed four or five of those, they would be in the top 10% of all the leaders of the firm. When they didn't possess anything that was really outstanding, anything at the 90th percentile, then rarely would they be one of your top leaders. And if they possessed some some behaviors that really got in their way and that were pretty observable, we kind of called those fatal flaws. And we deliberately used a, a very, you know, kind of harsh term in a word, you know, in a way. But, but we were trying to say, these behaviors really do drag people down. And so I want to be sure that the, the hearers and the listeners today get the message that it's not that we're saying there's never the right time to work on your weaknesses, because if you possess a fatal flaw, something that really is observable and, and people kind of notice that almost first, and that it kind of detracts from your performance, you need to work on that first. But for about two-thirds, nearly 80% of the people, that isn't, what's, that isn't the case. They need to find out, where are my B scores, and how do I make those into A's? How do I take things that I'm reasonably good at and become really good at them? So that's why I'm a, I'm a deep believer in a strength-based approach. We now have data pertaining to about 180,000 leaders we have in our in our database now some two hundred uh, or two nearly two million uh, three sixty degree responses from subordinates and peers and bosses. So we now have a much wider database, but the conclusions are the same. These are these are the things that really separate the best from the the average and, and the worst. Wow, that's amazing. So I'm, I'm really fascinated by this idea of, well, there's two thoughts that I loved that you said. One was, if you have a fatal flaw, there's no amount of working on your B's and A's that are going to really overcome that. you got to work on that, that piece first. But for most people, what they're really looking at is how to move things that are in that B range up to an A. And I love the way that you put that. That seems, makes, probably makes sense to lots of people. We've been in school for a long time, sort of trained in what B's and A's mean. Um, so that really resonated with me in terms of um, the, the approach. It's like we're not forgetting about the fact that we're all human. We have some weaknesses. But really where you can drive your results and success is focusing, for most people, on moving those B's days in these particular buckets. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And so as, as we work with most most companies, we, we try to help the, the that large group of people who are kind of in the middle of the of the bell-shaped curve in terms of we've got a whole bunch of people who are getting C's and B's on on many, many behaviors. If you can move those over to to the right, you know, to the right-hand side of the of the, the, the chart and have them behave more like those people who are in the top 10%, you can make enormous improvements in the way an organization functions. Now, you don't want to ignore the people who are getting really low scores or who, who are down at the bottom, but, but there's, there's usually a small number of those. It, the, the, the big opportunity for the company is to work with that group that's in the middle and help them perform like the best. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting that sometimes there's a focus on either 
the very low or the very high, and we forget about the middle. I mean, it's almost the same thing in, in schools with children. The kids that are have the most disruptive behavior are getting the most attention. The, pe- the kids that are doing the best are left, left alone. And then there's sort of this yeah. middle group. So what, yeah. what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, and absolutely. No, I think you're, you're absolutely right. We, we ignore this group in the middle. And <clears throat> it, it gets back to, I guess, a, a very core belief that I have, which is that every employee of every organization, when they come to work in the morning or wherever they come to work, deserves to work with a with a really good boss. And so, yes, it's fine to train a few people to become your most senior executives, and it's fine to kind of choose high-potential people and, and shower maybe a little bit of extra attention on them. But, you know, the, the great bulk of the workforce works for a large number of, of managers and leaders. And... Don't they? Don't they? Don't we all deserve to work with a good boss? And uh, if we can, by by giving some developmental time and attention to that huge group in the middle, uh, that's going to that's going to make the difference in terms of people being able to come to work with somebody that they really enjoy and whom, from whom they get really you know great treatment. Yeah, I mean, I got goosebumps when you said that because I really believe the same um, and being a high level athlete is where I got my experience with both great leaders and not great leaders. And I hundred percent agree with you that we do deserve that as a, you know, a huge population in the middle, which brings me to sort of another, another thought that I really resonated with in your book. Also from the athlete mindset, I gravitated to this concept in your book, how to be exceptional, drive leadership success by magnifying your strengths. You talk about this idea of leadership cross training can you get into that a little bit? What is it? How does it work? <laughs> you bet, Christy. This is, this is a concept that, that we very much borrowed from the world of athletics. <clears throat> and just so we're all talking about the same thing, in the world of athletics, uh, we see these you know, enormously uh, common examples of where a tennis player will be out running long distances and lifting weights and uh, practicing jiu-jitsu and other things. Uh, because, you know, it really does help them in the performance of tennis. Uh, my, my favorite cross-training example has to do with a football coach whom I, I knew who uh, would encourage some of his linemen to go take ballet lessons. And, and just somehow this picture of these linemen <laughs> in a ballet class just always causes me to grin. But um, So the idea is that that it, you can do some things which are kind of complementary behaviors, and that helps you uh, improve in the in the specific area that you seek to improve. So <clears throat> we go back to our database. We find we find that uh, a manager is particularly effective at strategic thinking, and so we then examine in our database. What are the other things that this manager tends to do really well that seem to go hand-in-hand with people who get high scores in that? And empirically, you can just go inside the database and look and see, well, it's interesting. People who get really high scores on this competency also get high scores on a unique pattern of other behaviors. 
And people who get low scores on that competency get low scores on this handful of other behaviors. There seems to be something going on between these behaviors and that specific competency. And so we, we began to label, we, we labeled these <clears throat> sort of, you know, companion behaviors. Um, they were statistically significantly correlated. You didn't always know exactly why, uh, but, but you just knew that that's, that's the way it was based on a large amount of data. And so what we found is that by when, when someone wants to get better, let's say, at strategic thinking, it's, it's the typical thing is that they will say, well, maybe I should go take a class, or I should read a book, or there might be some good articles, or maybe I should sit down with somebody in the company that is really good at strategic thinking and, and have him or her kind of give me some good ideas about what I could do. We would call all those linear approaches. I mean, they're the obvious, logical thing to do. Uh, what the data says is that people who are really good at strategic thinking are more prone to go out and visit the customer. They're prone to go out and do some other things. They'll make decisions much more carefully. Uh, they'll, they'll act with greater humility. Their, 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 their behavior, their mindset, their mentality uh, is, is a little bit different. Um, and so if you can help them see what those companion behaviors are, and usually we found maybe eight to ten of these other companion behaviors. Uh, then they can look that list over, and usually people will look at that list and they'll say, hmm, yeah, I can see. If I were to do that, it would probably help me. And there's, you know, so that's the, that's the notion of complementary behaviors. So as we have then provided our research, and, and we've described this in a, Harvard Business Review article, but we've in our in our development programs we help people understand what these companion behaviors are. Wow, that's that's amazing, and it is interesting that sometimes until you really see the list, you may not right away see the connection to say strategic thinking, but then when you sit down and really think about those behaviors and you really sit with it, you start to see those connections and how one could help the other. Right. Yeah, I mean, one one of our you know one of the most jarring examples is that one of the one of the companion behaviors to to you know strategic thinking is you know is, is an ability to to be assertive. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The the, the the combination, the correlation of assertiveness with you know kind of integrity and honesty. And you say, well, what is what is the what's the connection between integrity and honesty and being assertive? Uh, those seem like they're whole, they're very different things. But then, as you think about some examples, and we can think about in the business world in the last twenty, thirty years, there have been some notable examples of where ethical lapses have occurred on the part of some senior person, and there's been someone in the organization who had the courage and the assertiveness to sort of speak, you know, speak the truth and to call the organization's attention to what was going on. And boy, if there's ever a time when we need people who are willing to speak the truth and speak truth to, to power, uh, it's now. And um, that that's a very strong companion behavior 
to honesty and integrity. Ah, great example. Thank you for, for that, Jack. Really appreciate it. It really connected the dots for me. We're going to take a quick break, and I just want to say to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. So many great insights shared here by Jack Zenger, and um, we'll be right back in a few moments. Thank you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's the mental game of life at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the show. Before the break, Dr. Jack Zenger took us into a deep dive to uncover some of the competencies that distinguish high performing leaders from the rest. Now, we're going to really jump in and get a few nuggets around the importance of feedback. So, Jack, you've written a lot of articles, conducted a lot of research on the importance of feedback, and I've already heard that theme coming through. But can you share what's the most remarkable insight you found in your research around feedback to others? You bet. Uh, I would just uh, say that maybe two insights. One is that giving feedback is certainly important, and we we, we respect those managers who have the, the courage to kind of pass on feedback to their subordinates, but that giving feedback to others may not be as important as asking for feedback for yourself. Uh, We always, you know, think about here's a case of where asking and receiving is is actually more powerful in having you be a really effective leader than you're giving feedback 
to your subordinates. And the second, mm-hmm. the second insight, I guess, would be that there are two kinds of feedback. There's uh, things that are approbation and you know kudos and praise, and then there's kind of redirecting, you know, possibly critical, possibly suggesting things that someone is not doing. Um, if that's, if you categorize those as positive and negative feedback, what's fascinating is leaders often seem to assume that they're they're supposed to give people negative feedback. And in in general, people tend to give a little bit more, the managers give a little bit more negative feedback than they do positive feedback. The research that we've done is very clear. It's okay if you give negative feedback as long as you accompany it with a large dose of positive feedback. But positive feedback by itself goes a long way too. And in terms of how subordinates feel about their manager, it's the ones who give them positive feedback from whom they gain the most value and that they appreciate the most. Wow. So it sounds like positive feedback is really important. And how how often do you see that happening in the workplace? Like, is it once a week, once a day? Do managers give <laughs> feedback? What are you seeing out there? <laughs> well, I think I think there's no uh, there's no kind of I guess formula for it. But whenever managers interact with their subordinates, the, the thing I think we need to understand is that that your behavior is extraordinarily contagious. And your mood, your the, the tone that you set is just very, very influential. You can't minimize the, the impact that a leader has on the organization. And so if you want the organization to be happy, then you pass on praise and commendation and you you reinforce things that are going well. Yes, there are moments in time when you may need to have, you know, make corrective suggestions and ideas, but there's a really vital role our research shows for leaders giving positive feedback to their subordinates. Wow, that's amazing. And how do people, I mean, I assume that, you know, feedback, learning to give feedback is a skill. And we can learn to do it well. We can learn to give even negative feedback in a constructive way. So how do leaders learn how to do this important, important skill? You know, uh, you've used the right word, I believe. Uh, it, it is a skill. It, it begins with a bit of a mindset, I mean, and how people, you know, think and how they, how they feel. And so it begins by me believing that you're capable of changing, that you're not stuck, you're not fixed. And this gets back to the Carol Dweck research on, on mindset. But if, if I believe that you can improve, then I'm, I can, through, you can train leaders to be better coaches. You can do it by showing them examples of people doing it well, giving them a simple understanding of what the, the important elements of coaching really are, that good coaching is not giving advice, that good coaching is not telling people what to do, that coaching is all about helping them discover solutions in themselves, and good coaching is all about helping them to then put together a plan for you know how they're going to implement this change. And then the coach's job is to not cut loose, but to stay very involved 
and make sure that they follow through and implement that. So it's it's all around helping them decide what to do and then staying with them to implement the solution. Got it. And I uh, this year, actually, I had the opportunity to take two of your workshops, Elevating Feedback and The Extraordinary Coach, which I... 100% recommend to the listeners. I thought it was wonderful, wonderful workshops. And I also noticed a couple others that caught my eye on your website, Bold Leadership and Leadership Speed. Could you just share a little <laughs> bit about the benefits of those two programs? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the Bold Leadership Workshop is one that we're just kind of experimenting with, and we've been just kind of working on working on that. And it has to do with the fact that our research shows that the most effective leaders seem to be those who are, they, they take risks, they speak up, they speak the truth, they, they seek to raise the bar for, for their group to a higher level. And, and that quality of kind of thinking big and, uh, and then the courage, again, to, courage to ask for feedback, uh, those are some of the things that we talk about in that workshop on, on bold leadership. The speed win is really interesting. Uh, there were three items that were in our uh, 360-degree instrument that we used with most organizations. About half of our projects are custom, and half of them are use a standard 360-degree instrument. But there were three items that had to do with, you know, seize problems quickly and, sol- and solves problems quickly, and, and kind of it, it, it was all around that idea of speed. And what we found that that those three items were extraordinarily predictive of the most effective leaders. Now, it, it, it's important to say that speed is something that, that can't exist all by itself. Speed has to exist with a, with a partner, and the partner is quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you pair up speed and quality, you see an enormously positive results. And so we think that there are things you can do to help leaders just pick up the pace, uh, make decisions more rapidly, run meetings more efficiently, have their encounters with people in the hallway or in a, in a meeting, and, and do that more expeditiously. Uh, the, the ability for a leader to operate at a brisker pace seems to be something that can be learned. And it's, make, it's something that is very predictive of their long-term success. Oh, it sounds great. I'm definitely going to look into uh, joining that myself. And if there's other people that are intrigued by some of the programs that we were talking about, I would love for you to, to jump on the Zenger Folkum, sorry, Folkman um, website, which we'll give you in a second. But, um, Jack, your firm also, beyond offering trainings, which are great, um, you also offer individual and organizational assessments as well as executive coaching. And how can the listeners learn more about your firm and the services you offer? And I guess the same way that you've just suggested, if they'll go to our web page, they can they can contact us through that through that channel. And we, we you're right, we do provide coaching services to organizations. We provide lots of we, we train trainers inside organizations to deliver our materials. We come in and do it if they if they don't want to to, to do it themselves. Uh, but we believe that uh, we believe that formal training for leaders really has an enormous payoff for the organization, and it it, it makes a real difference in the organization's ultimate uh, profitability, their 
employer retention, their customer satisfaction, everything that we've been able to measure in terms of business outcomes is extremely correlated with the effectiveness of their leadership. So if you improve the, the quality of leadership, you will improve all those outcomes. It sounds like a win-win to me. <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, yeah. Train people, organizational benefit, it sounds like a perfect marriage. Yes, yes. Well, I have one final question for you, Jack, and I just I want to sure. thank you so much for your time. Uh, thinking about the individuals that may be listening, and if they want to really develop themselves into being an extraordinary leader, what is the one thing you'd recommend that they start doing now? Mm-hmm. So the research that we've done, and this, isn't, this hasn't been a big project, but we just in groups of managers we talk with from time to time, we ask them, how many people here have a personal plan of development? something that would really guide your personal progress. And, you know, it's fewer than 10%. Uh, most of us, just left to our own devices, don't have any plan that really is laying out how we are going to get better personally. So I think it is the creation for yourself of a plan of development to which you are committed and that you will follow through. Now, how do you create that plan? We think that probably the best first step is to get some feedback, and 360-degree feedback is a great way to do that. It's a very efficient, very organized, very confidential, anonymous approach. But there's other ways, other things you can do. And we, I've talked earlier in this program today about the importance of managers going out and asking people for feedback to them. So it, it begins with that whole, that, that whole feedback process. But it is this, the creation of a both a mindset, a commitment, an attitude around part of my job as a manager is to make myself better and to be a good example to the people around me that I'm working on getting better and thereby I will help develop everyone in the organization. Great insight. And I love that you just started us off. Um, I always do like a recipe for success at the end, which is like, you know, some key takeaways. And I'm, I'm so grateful for your time today and to leave us with that great thought. So thank you so much for being on the show and uh, really appreciate you. You're very welcome. It's nice to have been with you. Thanks. Well, that was wonderful to have Jack uh, on the show. He may just stay on to keep listening. We'll have to see. But uh, it was wonderful to have those insights and then have that Uh, last piece, wrapping us up into the recipe for success. So what were the main takeaways from today? Focus on your strengths, not just your weaknesses, and build from there. Give and get feedback often. As Jack just said, people want feedback. You also need feedback. Get good at receiving it. Get good at giving it, whether that means practicing your own or or taking a, a, a class or a training in terms of getting that um, know-how knowledge of giving feedback. The other piece is investing and growing others. When we take time to listen and to grow other people, the investment back to us is wonderful. So how can you do that a little bit better in your sphere of influence, whether that's at home, in the office, et cetera? And then as Jack just said, I'm just going to repeat this again, as leadership is learned. We've, we've been hearing lots of research about that. These are skills that a lot of us can learn. So develop yourself. And a great quote by John Wooden, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming. So no change in any group or team can ever truly happen without some kind of change or transformation in the leader. 
And Warren Bennis said, becoming a leader is synonymous with becoming yourself. It is precisely that simple and it is also that difficult. So the question I have for you today is what can you take away from today to increase your game to the next level, boosting your career and results in your organization? Think about the next step, the micro change that you can make this week to increase your mental game. Maybe it's reading one of Jack's books. Maybe it's taking a leadership workshop offered by Zenger Folkman or applying a tip you heard from today. Whatever resonates with you, take a step towards it this week. Not next week. Don't wait for the month down the road. Take a step this week. So this wraps up our show and it also wraps up our pilot series of the mental game of life. Can you believe how fast 13 weeks just flew by? It's all coming to a close on my birthday. I love the timing. So before we end this series, I thought I might, it might be helpful to provide you with the top five tips, sort of a mega recipe for success, if you will, from the last 13 weeks. The first one is find your purpose and passion. There were some great episodes on that, episode two, and um, we touched on that in episode five. Get clear about your big goals for the year and find a way that um, works for you to be accountable to them. Keep track of them and your progress, paper or a transformational app. Episode three, best year yet, and episode nine about I Run, You Run are two great approaches and tools to help you do this. Three, declutter your physical and electronic world. Get a system that helps you manage all your tasks, your email, the influx of information that's hitting you to lower your stress level. Check out McGee Productivity Solutions and Take Back Your Life to help you get into control of your electronic world. That was episode eight. Are you running on empty? The big message you've been getting this whole 13 weeks is recharge your body, your brain, daily, weekly, quarterly. So it's very important for performance to be a high-level athlete, a high-level corporate athlete. You must be able to recharge. Balance out your production drivers with, with your capacity drivers. Find out what fuels you the most and incorporate, incorporate this daily and weekly. Great episodes to go back on. We're thriving with, T, with Steve Terry, episode seven on using your brain effectively, and nine and five also dabbled in this. The very last one is your mindset. Remember all your actions, even those daily ones, come from how we think and how we feel. Our thinking tends to get wired in our brain. Those are our beliefs or mindsets, how even how we feel about ourselves. If you want different results in your life, look at your beliefs that are driving your results. Reflect, dig deep, and try to shift them. There's a difference in how we're doing and our state of being. Being different, which is our mindset, will result in different actions, which will create different results. Episode one and six really touched on this. So something to leave you with that Wayne Dyer said, I am a human being, not a human doing. So think about how you can be differently to create different results in your life. So with that said, I want to say a very special thank you to my guest today, Dr. Jack Zenger. Such an awesome way to end the series. Please do check out the many books as well as the website and see all the great uh, workshops and services they do offer. As always, if you have thoughts on the show, a performance question, or just want to connect with me, please reach out at thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. So with that said, until we meet again, plant some seeds of change in your life. Thank you for tuning into the series. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you for tuning into The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christy Warner. Please be sure to join us again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Let's talk next week.